following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. I want to talk about eulogies today. And obviously this is going to be partly because Delyn was my friend and getting a call Monday was, uh, that was, that was hard to hear. But as the week has gone on, I've just been thinking a lot about what I have been thinking about him as I revisit thinking about his life. And I, I don't want to do a funeral service for Delyn this morning. This isn't my point. But I have discovered through the week as I have been thinking about the impact and the legacy of his life as a servant of God, it has taken me interesting places. It's taken me interesting places, and that's where we're going to go this morning. You get to go with me. So the first thing that, that struck me this week was that the Bible doesn't really have eulogies as we think of them. Because one of the things I was looking up, because I, I was thinking, I'd like to talk about eulogies this Sunday. So I Googled eulogies in the Bible. There really aren't eulogies in the Bible. And in fact, there's not really eulogies in the early church. They're very rare. And one of the reasons was, at that time, birthdays, in terms of celebrating your day of birth, was seen as a pagan thing. They didn't celebrate birthdays in the Jewish community. It's one reason why you don't even see a discussion of celebrating Jesus' birthday for several hundred years. The early church tended to think of the death day as the birthday. That was the important day. That was the day you moved into your new life. You moved into the world to come. And it, in some ways, they made that a day of celebration, though it was clear that they mourned. I mean, the Jewish community knew how to mourn. That could go on for weeks. But when they talked about someone's day of death, they thought of it as a birthday. So you don't generally see eulogies. In fact, even inscriptions on tombstones are, for the most part, very basic. Here is Bob, son of Sally and Fred kind of thing. Um, and there's a few that go a little further, but you don't generally see that. And this doesn't make eulogies like we do them bad. Don't misunderstand. It was just a different time. And then when I go back to the Bible and I try to think of what does the Bible have to say about eulogies, it, suddenly I realized it was harder than I realized to, to find that idea just because it was a, a different time and people handled the passing of the saints differently. But there's two places that pop up. If you Google eulogies in the Bible, two things come up. The first one is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Now, here's something you need to know about Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. It's all one verse, one sentence. Like, Paul wrote this incredible run-on sentence that just goes on forever, and your Bible will split it up with punctuation so it makes sense to us, but Paul was just like, hey, guys. And it, it was written in this style that was reminiscent of classic epic poetry, so Paul was classically trained. Just the fact that he has the name Paul means he had a Roman mentor. He was classically trained. If you were able to read things like the Iliad and the Odyssey in their original language, you'd see this classical epic poetry, or they call it heroic poetry because heroes are in it. That's actually what Paul is doing here. Now, I didn't discover that by reading the original language because I can't do that, but I found a very insightful article, and I have a link for it in the notes if you go online, that talks about this. But this article went on to say, even though stuff like that was written in this huge chunk of words, it was intended to be read. And when people would read or, read or recite it, they would break it up into, like, paragraphs, kind of what we think of, to emphasize certain things. There was still a rhythm about reading it that was important. So I want to read to you Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and we're going to kind of chunk it up, 
like a reader at that time would have, just so you know, think about this, think about this, think about this, even though it's all one thought. Does that kind of make sense? All right, so here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing of the Spirit in the high heavenlies in Christ. Now, you'll note on the screen, we get the word eulogy from this root word, eulogo, E-U, logos, etc., three times in the opening salvo of the super long sentence. This is why this will pop up if you look for eulogies in the Bible because eulogies are blessings. So one more time, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every blessing of the Spirit and the high heavenlies in Christ. Insofar as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, for the praise of the glory of his grace. We're going to come back to that phrase a couple more times. For the praise of the glory of his grace. Which he bestowed on us in his beloved in whom we have our redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions according to the riches of his grace. Of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, when he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Which he purposed in him for the administration of the fullness of all eras to sum up all things in the Messiah, the things in heaven, and the things on earth in him. In him, the Messiah, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, to be the praise in his glory. We have been predestined to be the praise of his glory, we who were the first to hope in Christ. This is Christ, in whom you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you have believed and you were sealed with the spirit of promise. The spirit of promise, who is the down payment for, of our inheritance for redemption of his prized possession for the praise of his glory. We've been predestined to the praise of his glory. There will be a redemption of his prized possession. That's us for the praise of his glory. Now, that's different than we think of with a eulogy, right? Because we think of a eulogy as something we give it a death, but at least an initial look, this isn't about a death because it's not about God dying or Jesus dying, but actually there is a little bit of death in here. God will redeem his prized possessions to the praise of his glory, and this seems to be a connection not just with the redemption that we experience now, but there will be an ultimate redemption where God's prized possessions, his children, will, be, will experience redemption for the praise of his glory. And it seems here we, we get a glimpse just in this passage of what I would think of as the ultimate eulogy for a follower of Christ. He or she was a prized possession that God redeemed, and his or her life was lived to the praise of the glory of God. So, does it read like a eulogy that we're used to hearing, but actually embedded within that is something that I want to hear said at my funeral. 
and that I hope followers of God all want to hear said when they pass into the world to come. The second passage is Matthew 25, and this will resonate a bit more because we often hear it quoted at funerals. It's a little more like eulogies we expect. This is what Jesus was saying about the faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So I ought to break this down a little bit, like I do all the time. So well done, there's this you again. This is the eulogy, this is the blessing. Well done. But he says good. Um, we think of other verses like there's no one good but God. Good can be an odd word to use in Christian circles because we're like, well, I'm not really good. But yet it says, I'll be a good servant. How does this work? This word specifically means a goodness that is given by God to us. It's a gift. And then empowers us to spread that good into the world. So this is not a goodness that we earn. This isn't filthy rags, righteousness, goodness. This is the kind of goodness that is a gift from God. It's grace to us, and then God himself empowers us to pass this on to others. So a good servant can't take credit for being a good servant. Whatever goodness this servant offers is to the praise and the glory of God. This faithfulness simply means dutiful. It just means this was a servant who put one foot in front of the other. And then when you read, enter into the joy of your Lord, and I love this definition of joy, and I got this from Bible Hub, and I believe this is from Strong's Concordance, but joy as grace recognized. In other words, joy is what follows when we see God's grace at work, which is why we can have joy in the midst of any situation, because in any situation, we can see God's grace at work either in our own hearts and in our lives or in the lives of those around us. So in the midst of persecution, I can have joy. That's not happiness. It's joy. I can see God's grace at work. And I recognize God's grace in the midst of any situation in life. Enter into the joy. We get an experience of it now. And it just gives us a foretaste of this ultimate experience of entering into the joy of the Lord. So if I combine these two passages, I end up with a eulogy that I think we as Christians must long for when our time has come, and here it is. He or she was a good person, and by that I mean filled, changed, and transformed by God's grace into the image of Jesus. They were faithful, simply means walking as a disciple of Jesus in the path God laid out to the place God has chosen for us. They brought glory and praise to God and brought the world a glimpse of joy. In other words, they recognized God's grace in themselves, and as God revealed himself through their life, others could recognize God's grace in them to their joy. And now they're experiencing fully what they once only experienced in part. That's the joy unspeakable and full of glory. So I have lots of things I can say about Delenn. The first phrase that comes to my mind is how often he used to say, never ask a skinny man where to eat. <laughs> and uh, Delenn and I had culinary adventures. Um, Ask Scott about the sandwich shop we went to in San Jose. I mean, if Delenn ever said to me when I was in Costa Rica, he's like, do you want to eat here? The answer was always, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. I have no idea what I'm getting into, but I do want to eat there. But if that was all there was to Delenn, my eulogy would just be about taste buds and digestion, which are good things, 
And they're attached to really good times and memories with Delenn. But they're not Delenn's deepest kingdom legacy. I was thinking of his jokes, especially when they involved Pennsylvania Dutch accents. And if those of you who don't know what that is, I am not going to try to replicate it. But I couldn't stop laughing. But if that was all there was to Delenn, my eulogy would so far just be about laughter and food, which, by the way, are both good things, and both of which have created cherished memories for me, good memories with a good friend. And they're part of Delenn, and I loved them, but they're not what drove him, and they're not Delenn's deepest kingdom legacy. He delighted in pushing me and everyone else out of their comfort zone. If you heard him speak here at all, you know that came up relentlessly. I remember one time I was in Costa Rica. I was there with, um, I think it was AJ's class, actually, for our senior mission trip. And we had to drive from San Jose to close to the border of Nicaragua, which I want to say was a six or seven hour drive. And if you've not driven to Costa Rica, I'm just going to say it, it's a nightmare. Um, every road rule is a suggestion, and there's things going on there that I never fully understood. So we're walking out to the van to get ready to leave early one morning, and I get handed the van keys, and I'm like, what's this? And Delin goes, oh, you're driving. And five minutes later, we were on the road, and I drove for seven hours. And I did everything I could to keep up, and we made it. Delin loved to do stuff like that. I think he knew if he told me the night before, I might lose sleep over it. <laughs> So he just surprised me, and it turned out I could drive just fine in Costa Rica. Yeah, so there was the time he took me to a, a soccer game in San Jose between two rival teams and thought it was delightful to buy me the visitor's jersey. <clears throat> <laughs> and I put the jersey on, and he goes, okay, by the way, this is a visitor's jersey. Be prepared as we walk to the stadium. People will say things to you that aren't kind. You might have things thrown at you. I didn't have anything thrown at me, but there were people who started muttering things, and Delim would laugh, and I'd go, what did they say? And he said, you don't want to know. <laughs> and I get into the stadium, and 90% of the people are the home crowd, and let me tell you, Latin American soccer stadium, there's a lot of energy and emotion, and I was one of the 10% with the visitor's jersey kind of cowering down in my seat. And so I said, Delim, why would you do this? And he said, because, I think for one, because it amused him, but number two, because he said, I want you to know what it's like to be a minority in a hostile situation because you don't have to worry about that where you live ever, ever, ever. So how did it feel? And we had good discussion over that, right? But if that's all Delenn was, that would serve a good purpose. It, it brought about maturity in me and others. But then really, if that was all he was, my eulogy would just be about how crazy he was. And he was. And the, that craziness are meaningful memories to me but even that, which was part of his ministry, even that is not Delenn's deepest kingdom legacy. Uh, he knew someone everywhere we went. I remember one time we were stopped at a stoplight in San Jose where actually the traffic had stopped. It was amazing. And suddenly he rolls down his window and starts yelling at the guy next to him. And I thought we were in trouble. Turns out he knew this guy. That happened twice in the same day at just random spots in San Jose. And I realized everywhere Delenn went, he knew people. And he remembered their names. A lot of you experienced this. He might meet you once or twice here and come back a year later and remembered you and your family. And that amazes me. Number one, that he had the energy to make those kind of connections. And number two, that he could remember people's names. 
And I deeply admired that in Delenn, and it was a skill that contributed to his living to the praise and glory of God. But even his God-given gifts of extroversion and his good memory are not his deepest kingdom legacy. And this, this is where my mind was going this week, that I realized as much as I value all those memories and those experiences, I mean, just for what they were, they were delightful. As much as I value all those things, and they had a meaningful impact on me, my mind never stopped there as I thought about Delenn. I kept going to something deeper, and it was this, that he has a legacy that will ripple through eternity because there are things that brought glory and praise to God and brought the world joy. In other words, there are things in which we could all see God's grace at work in Delenn. So, and by the way, I am talking about Delenn to set the stage here. Um, I, we're going to talk about us here in a minute. So I saw Delenn grow as a father and a husband and a leader through a couple things. That was humility and surrender and a real dedication to living out the goodness that God had given him and then faithfully stewarding what was given to him. Delenn was not a perfect human being. He would be the first to tell you that. But that's okay because that just makes him human like the rest of us, right? What I saw over the years was this growth in grace in all the areas of his life. Carmelinda, his daughter, posted something this last week. That, I believe, is her picture, by the way, that she sketched. Uh, she wrote, you used to tell a story in your sermon about how when I was little, I asked you why I have two daddies, and you answered, because you have one that's perfect and one that's not. And the reality is, nobody likes to be sinful and flawed. None of us like to have to confront those things in ourselves that are in need of redemption. We, we want to think we're better than we are, right? It's, it's something we all struggle with. And Delenn didn't like it any better than the rest of us. But I know this. I know he was committed to seeing it and surrendering it to God and surrendering it to, to others for the glory of God. And that's a kingdom legacy. He grew a ministry because he was passionate about making disciples. If you knew Delenn for five minutes, he probably said that phrase five times. He's passionate about making disciples. He wanted to do everything for the glory of God, and he used all the talents God gave him relentlessly, relentlessly. But even then, the older he got, the more he, res the more he surrendered his relentless drive to God and to others for the sake of helping to order and help him learn how to use all these things in the life of the kingdom. And, and he surrendered to that. And once again, for all of us, we don't like it when people come in and say, oh, I, I see you have these gifts and talents and things. I think you might need to use them this way. We want to go, I got this. And the older Delenn got, and the more he walked with Christ, the more I saw in Delenn not a change in his desire and his passion and his talents and his skills, but a surrendering of those things because he knew it was for the glory of God. And kingdom fruit followed. Kingdom fruit followed. And that's a kingdom legacy. He would talk with me about his frailties and his weakness and his failures because he could see there was places inside that he wasn't embodying God's goodness and he was struggling to fulfill his duties as a servant of Christ. And we talked a lot about Gloria and Carmelinda because Delenn really wanted to love and steward and disciple them well. And he wasn't shy about saying, and I know it wasn't just to me, I know it was to others, uh, how do I do this better for the glory of God and for their good? 
And I think it's safe to say that his family, as well as those around him in the ministry, they saw him dedicated to surrendering himself more fully to God, not just for his good, but for their good and ultimately for God's glory, and that's a kingdom legacy. And so at the time I knew Delenn, he followed in the footsteps of Jesus. He increased in wisdom. He increased in stature. Never asked a skinny man where to eat. And in favor with God and others. And this happened by the grace of God, and as he always said over and over, to the glory of God. So there's a lot of things that linger. But I, as I think of all of them, the most important legacy is a life in which the goodness of a grace-giving God transformed Delenn into a dedicated disciple whose testimony brought glory and praise to God. And he recognized God's grace at work in him. He recognized God's grace at work in others. And now he's experiencing it in its fullness, in joy unspeakable and full of glory. So I've been thinking a lot about that this week and about eulogies and legacies and the ultimate eulogy for the follower of Jesus. So here it is again. He or she was a good person that is filled, changed, and transformed by God's grace into the image of Jesus. Faithful, that's walking as a disciple of Jesus in the path God laid out to the place God has chosen for us. Who brought glory and praise to God and brought the world glimpses of that joy that's recognizing God's grace at work, which he or she once experienced in part but is now experiencing fully. That's... That's a eulogy for a child of God. So I want to look once again at some parts of that. To say someone's a good person, just once again, this is through salvation and through the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctification. This is not the claim that we have done something to deserve anything. There's no one good but God, and God in his mercy lets us participate by, in his goodness by transforming us into his image. It's astonishing. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, uh, God made him that is Jesus to be sin, even though he knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I don't want to unpack all the theology of that sentence because alone it can be confusing. But the idea is simply that Jesus paid the price so that we can participate in the righteousness that God offers. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We don't do this. God does this. We can't experience this without surrendering our lives to Jesus and following him in a worshipful obedience. Our act is giving up and surrendering and letting God do the work that only God can do. If you want to be good, you must let God place his goodness in you. So, he or she was a good person. Faithful. Faithful simply means putting one foot in front of the other in the path and with the tools God has given us. This is not perfection. This is persistence. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, good that God places us and empowers us to do. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's persistence. Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us, <coughs> excuse me, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Okay, God doesn't need perfect people. This is really good news for all of us. He needs persistent people. God doesn't need flawless people. He needs people who are not defined by their failures but are defined by his forgiveness. In other words, I can look at the ways in which I do not embody and pass on and live out the goodness of God. I can look at my sin and I can let it knock me out of the race, to use Paul's imagery. If so, that's me being defined by my failures. But what does it look like to be defined by God's forgiveness? In other words, when I fail, God reaches out and lifts me back up and sets me back on the path of righteousness. Right? And so if I fall off again, God reaches and he picks me up and he puts me back on the path of righteousness. That's faithfulness. It's not perfection. It's persistence. So this person as a follower of God was a good person, goodness of God expressed, a faithful person. They put one foot in front of the other. They bring glory and praise to God. In other words, my life and my words are meant to testify to God, not me. God increases while we decrease. Our testimony is never about us. Our testimony is always about Christ in us. I have four different verses I want to read on this. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see you and applaud. No. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Those good works coming from a good God who puts his goodness in us and it flows out of us through his power. So, of course, no one's going to applaud us. They'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Matthew 5.14-16, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here's the reality. I can't save the world. I mean, I think that was clear. I can't save you. I can't save anybody else. I am not a Savior. But Christ in me can save others. It's Christ in me that's the hope of glory. Anthony's not the hope of the glory. Good Lord, that's been made abundantly clear. And as an ambassador, I just go to people and I go to places so that they can see Christ in me, who is the hope of glory, not so they could see me. God forbid that we as followers of Christ turn the spotlight on ourselves so that we can be seen. Our lives are meant to be testimonies that God is so loving and so strong that he took even me and used my life for our good and for God's glory. 
And then finally, bringing the world glimpses of joy. That's manifesting God's grace at work in ourselves and recognizing God's grace at work in others. Colossians 1.6. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Acts 20, 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Do you see those two verses? Part one is understanding God's grace, understanding what God has given to us, and then telling the good news of God's grace. I think that's joy, recognition of God's grace. We want to bring joy to the world. We want to experience joy. Focus on God's grace. You want to bring joy to the world. Embody the grace of God and talk about God's grace and point toward God's grace. I'm going to embarrass Gary and Pat Hamilton this morning. This was a last minute decision, Gary. I think it was Holy Spirit inspired. Gary and Pat have a prison ministry, and um, there is a gentleman that they interact with, and um, so they'll send him sermon notes, and he reads them, and he'll write letters to them, or he'll write letters to me. We've kind of been doing this for a while. I got a letter, June 26, 2020. Hello again. It's me, this, uh, the inmate writing this letter. Gary Hamilton's been sharing stuff. I, I wanted to give you a quick note. I'm going to skip some of the things. This was after the apple of God's eye sermon where I talked about being the little person in, in God's eye and then us trying to be close enough to others are the little person in our eyes. Not if you remember. It's okay if you don't. Um, so he says this. I'm not writing about your message. I'm sending you because I want to give kudos for Gary, Gary and Pat Hamilton. Well, for God really as he works through them. Do you see that? I want to give kudos to the Hamiltons. No, wait, actually, I mean God who works through them. But they're the ones who chose to hear his voice and, and choose to obey. Uh, when I read the apple of God's eye, you got the part where you ask, what kind of heart should I have for my neighbor? How do I want to see them? Where will I have to go? How close will I have to get? The answers you gave perfectly describe the heart of the Hamiltons. I personally see in their visits and their letters and hear from other inmates that they love with the kind of love that God offers. They know who they're visiting and corresponding with. They know the foul and heinous things we've done, yet none of that matters to them. They come, they visit, they laugh, they minister, not through piety, but through being a friend of sinners, and they do it out of love for Jesus, what he has done for them, and a desire to share that love with those most in need of it. I believe they see us, whether first meeting or longtime friends, as the sheep of God, some lost and some found, but all loved and valued. They faithfully, faithfully drive an hour each way to enter into our barren and howling wilderness in order to share the love of God, which is so clearly shed abroad in their hearts with people who are most often considered by society as unlovable. Praise God for their obedience to his calling. To most of us, myself included, they're the only visitors we get. Uh, it is their manifestation of God's love toward us that has had such a tremendous impact on me and several of the other men that they minister to through their love and friendship. 
As their pastor, I thought you might want to know what impact your congregation members, Pat and Gary, are having on others and in the community and how they are advancing God's kingdom and making disciples for his glory. That's what stood out to me. Sorry, Gary and Pat. That's what stood out to me this morning. What did Dylan always said? I'm all about making disciples. Why? For God's glory. And here it is. They're advancing his kingdom and making disciples for his glory. Make no doubt about it. The prison ministry is having an impact on me and others. I pray that more of God's laborers would follow suit. Gary and Pat, I know you didn't want me to read that because you're modest people. And you don't do this for the praise and the glory of people. You do it for the praise and glory of God. But I want our congregation to know that when you commit your lives to the praise and the glory of God and making disciples, and you don't shine that spotlight on yourself, but you show up so that people can see God's grace at work on you, and you talk about God's grace, and you give all glory to God, it changes people's lives. Listen, that's the eulogy I want. That's the eulogy I want. I hope this is a eulogy we all long for. Lives lived extending grace to others, which is the kind of act of love that covers a multitude of sins and makes it possible to live in the kind of kingdom community that shines in the darkness. Lord, may this be the eulogy of everyone in this room and those listening online that they were good people. That means filled, changed, and transformed by God's grace into the image of Jesus. That they were faithful, walking as disciples of Jesus in the path God laid out to the place God has chosen for them. May they bring glory and praise to you and to the world and bring everyone around them a glimpse of the joy that is recognizing God's grace at work. And Lord, we long for the day where we experience fully what we experience now in part. That is what you offer, which is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.